Hi, my name is Josh Smith, and I love our church. Uh, my wife is Megan Smith. We have one son. His name is Connor. He is two years old. Uh, we have a second son on the way. His name will be Ethan. Uh, we have been attending Burning Bush for two and a half years. Uh, currently, I volunteer with the uh, security team as well as the greeting team. Uh, Megan does greeting, and she also teaches the uh, three-year-old Sunday uh, school class. And one of the biggest reasons why we love our church is really the involvement that we have within the church. Uh, Megan and I were attending a local church uh, within the area, and while we did enjoy it, we felt like we needed to have a little bit more uh, going on. Uh, we, did, we wanted to be in Sunday school. We wanted to uh, have a place for our son to grow up within the church. Uh, at the time, she was pregnant and, you know, things were going well, but hey, we needed more. So we actually had a neighbor across the street, David and Sandy Everett, who mentioned, hey, have you tried out Burning Bush Baptist Church? And we're like, no, we have not. So we came here one Sunday and everything just felt right. We were greeted, uh, we had, were accepted with our son who had a great time within the nursery when he was born. Uh, and that took some time, obviously, a couple months before he was there. And then we had a great Sunday school class, which David also mentioned to us uh, within, with Dub Carter. There are so many knowledgeable people in there, and honestly, I listen more than I speak because these people just know their stuff, and it is fantastic. Uh, I also go to a men's group on Wednesday nights whenever I'm able to. Uh, Dennis obviously teaches a great message, and one of the biggest things there is like, you know, whatever guys say doesn't leave this room, and it's true. We, we want to be able to talk about the guy things in there, and it really does awesome things for me uh, just to listen to other dads and uh, other just like guys and like-minded things who are experiencing the same things we are. Uh, Megan attends uh, Wednesday night uh, classes as well. Uh, she does the uh, Mother's Heart and obviously she does the other one at times too. Uh, so there's just so much for us to be able to do within this church and just to be able to volunteer and everything that we try and do, we just really appreciate everything that the church has to offer us. I love those videos. You know, we, we don't coach them at all. People say, well, what, what, what should I say? I'm like, whatever you want to talk about. Just, just whatever God lays on your heart. And uh, I, just, I just love to hear the good things that uh, God is doing. And, you know, it's a compliment to all of you, too, you know, that are serving and making children's departments and all those types of things possible. So I was looking around this week, and I, something caught my attention. It's, it's talking about, like, the worst jobs that you could have, just like awful jobs. And uh, so it got me thinking, and, th and this article only had one particular job, but it got me thinking, what would be some of the, 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 the awfulest jobs that you could have? So I just kind of started researching that a little bit, and I just have some, some jobs that I want to share with you as we, we kind of get started. So if we can throw that first one up there. I don't even know how to explain that. But uh, apparently that's, uh, that's what somebody does for a living. Then this next one, is that something you volunteer for? <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but anyway, and then go ahead to the next one. I'm thinking that probably isn't going to pass OSHA standards. I'm not sure exactly what they're doing there. It looks like they're working on some kind of telephone lines, but I'm thinking those of you who work in factories and stuff, I'm thinking you couldn't get away with that. And then there's the next one. You're looking for a stay-at-home job? There you go. You know, you could choose some grass up for an old horse that has bad teeth and never have to leave your home. Next one. 
You think your office is busy? How about those folks? A little crowded, you think? And then the next one, you know, sometimes uh, you think you get dumped on at your job. <laughs> Gives a whole nother meaning to that phrase, doesn't it? Another one. Yeah, sometimes we don't so, do so good on our jobs. And I think probably the guy that did that um, also did the next one with the uh, two arrows pointing the wrong direction. So he, uh, he, he might need to find a different kind of work. And then my favorite one is the last, well, that's not the last one. But anyway, that sign, I don't quite understand it. Then the last one is my favorite. I can just hear two guys. Uh, George, I think we can make this door work. We got it. We got it. <laughs> you know, Jesus, when he left this earth, gave us a couple jobs, some responsibilities. He told us to spread the good news to all the nations. He told us to love God with all of our heart. And he tells us to love other people. And it's that third one that I want to kind of talk about this morning. Loving other people and doing that through serving them. And so we're just going to kind of continue in this series that we've been in, I Love Our Church. And just want to kind of begin, go back to uh, the Lord's Supper. And sometimes we call it the Last Supper. It's a Thursday night. The disciples are about to eat. And prior to this meal, and you actually, you know, usually when we look at the Lord's Supper, we're in John chapter 13. But if you go over to Luke chapter 22, there's something else that is going on as they're preparing to eat the Lord's Supper. And it's something that Jesus has addressed before. There's this dispute going on between the disciples about who is the greatest. And they're just kind of arguing back and forth. And then Jesus says to them, The king of the Gentiles lord it over them, but you are not like that. The greatest among you will be servant of all. So he says, yeah, the Gentile kings, he said, it's all about looking at me and being great. But he said, you, our kingdom, my kingdom doesn't work like that. It's about whosoever is the servant. Now, it's interesting. Most commentators think that, that what causes this discourse is that there is a servant, probably a boy, that is supposed to show up and clean their feet. I mean, it's Jerusalem, it's the dry, the, the arid air, the dust is everywhere, they, like a, a, a limestone dust that just coats everything over there. And what the commentators think is there is a, a boy that is supposed to show up and wash their feet. And this boy has not shown up to wash their feet. And so everybody's like, well, who's going to wash the feet? Evidently, this boy is not coming. And so what was typically reserved probably for a young man or maybe even a slave, now it appears no one's going to do it. Because the disciples are kind of like, hey, we're with the most popular rabbi on earth. Well, I'm not going to be uh, washing anybody's feet. And so then this discourse kind of, you know, happens about, well, who's greater? Who's going to sit on his right hand? That kind of stuff. Who's, who's the greatest among us? And, you know, maybe you can hear Peter. Well, guys, I think it'd be me. I mean, I walked on water. And, you know, his brother Andrew's like, well, you also fell in the water. And, uh, you know, maybe Matthew's over there and says, well, I could have done it, but I just didn't want to show off. 
And maybe James and John are like, hey, let me tell you guys something. Do you know how many people are going to name their kids after us? I think that makes us pretty great. And Andrew's like, I doubt it. Thomas is like, I doubt it. And so this conversation is going on about who is the greatest. And so this is the venue. That's the backdrop where Jesus chooses to teach them this unforgettable lesson. And they've just been arguing. And so Jesus gives them some content from a previous speech. And he says, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. But Jesus, by this point, is kind of realistic. And he's not very optimistic that this is going to take because it didn't take the first time. So he kind of abandoned his words and he kind of gets and puts it into action to demonstrate to these guys what this looks like. So we're going to pick it up in John chapter 13 verse 1. And it says this, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father having loved his own who were in the world. And he now showed them the full extent of his love. So here's your question. What did Jesus do to show them the full extent of his love? Did he go around and give everybody a big bear hug and say, I love you and affirm them? Did he give them little note cards, you know, like, Matthew, this one's for you, and this encouragement, and, you know, James, this one's for you, and just, just kind of do it that way? I mean, he's God. He could have done anything he wanted to. But that's not what he did. To show them love, he takes a totally different route, and he chose to serve them. Verses 3 through 5 read, Jesus, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around them. Can you imagine what that room was like? You know, all at once you hear the sloshing of the water in that big basement, basin, I'm sorry, you hear the sloshing of the water. And maybe you think to yourself, well, finally, the servant boy showed up to wash our feet. And then maybe in your peripheral vision, you get a glimpse, and it's not a boy. It's a man. And you look a little bit closer, and you realize it's Jesus, the creator of the world, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who left a perfect paradise and came to this imperfect world, he is the one going around washing people's feet. Wow. What a scene that must have been. Jesus showing his love by washing their feet. Or maybe put it another way, serving them by washing their feet. If the church truly wants to show Jesus' love to others, then we will faithfully serve. And that's the fourth topic in this series that we're calling, I Love Our Church. Serving faithfully, loving on people. Our mission statement puts it a little differently because you know, we want it to be easily 
easily memorized. It's called be engaged. But that's what it means. Be serving. And you know, I think most of us, we can look in our community and we can look in churches and we can see the areas where, where, where volunteer, servant volunteers are needed. And, 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 and we can see that and, and we realize that. But the follow through is a little bit harder. We have good intentions, but following through on that is where we frequently falter with our never-ending to-do list and our packed calendars and just the busyness that we all experience. It's hard to prioritize serving. So today, I just want to share with you three biblical principles that are found over in Philippians chapter 2. And I just kind of want to begin by kind of giving you a little bit of context to Philippians chapter 2. The church at Philippi, that's the church that he's writing to, they have a problem. There's division in the church. There's a lack of unity. And that's something that can happen and does happen in most churches. And so when Paul writes to them, he is addressing that problem of division in the church. So his concerns here are not about doctrine. It's not about people's commitments. It's not about their morals. It's not about ideas that are unbiblical. That's not what he's concerned about. His concerns are about standards and interest and preferences and the like. Things that are more about personal preferences. He wants to remind us, all of us, that these issues should never be allowed to create controversy in the body of Christ or the church, our personal preferences. And of course, in this chapter, he's going to point out that it's a matter of pride to promote one's own personal view or agenda by saying that my view is better or my view is more important than yours. And he said we should look at Jesus Christ and we should see how he wasn't like that. He didn't promote himself. He didn't promote his own agenda or his own preferences. And he says when you do that and you practice that kind of humility in the church, it creates spiritual maturity and it preserves the unity of the church. So that's the context. I'm just trying to set it up for you. He's writing about division in the church. And he's going to say, look, Jesus is a great example of that. He was not about himself. And then he's going to talk about Jesus being a servant. And it's that component that I want to kind of zero in on this morning. Jesus as a servant. Jesus set the example for us as a servant. Here's principle number one. When we do it for the right reasons, our service is pleasing to God. Look at verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. and humility, value others above yourself. Those first two phrases there, ambition, selfish ambition, and vain conceit, those are the enemies of servanthood. And they keep us from practicing servanthood. Does it surprise you? That selfishness is the first one on the list? It doesn't surprise me. You know why? Because selfishness is the root of so many other sins. 
It was Satan that placed his will over God's will that got him thrown out of heaven. Adam and Eve, the same was true of them. They placed their own desires over what God wanted. The Greek phrase would literally translate nothing by the way of selfishness. In other words, selfishness is to totally be excluded from our heart. The phrase was originally used of politicians who would use unfair measures to preserve their office. Later it came to refer to anybody that would tear other people down to build themselves up. And then you have a second phrase, this empty conceit or vain conceit, depending on your translation. And that refers to a person that has a highly exaggerated view of themselves, maybe a condescending type person. It's a person who always considers himself to be right and expects everybody else to agree with them. And the only unity they seek is based on their own values and centered on themselves. Bob Goff writes books, and uh, he writes a lot of men's material. Some of you maybe have read some of his books directed toward men. But he came out with a book about a year, maybe two years ago, called Everybody Always. And he writes this. Our lives will never be about Jesus if we keep making everything about ourselves. Is that not so true? Is that not so true in our society? You know, that's what I struggle with. I want to take everything, and then I want to place it through a filter and see how it affects me. But that's not really serving for the right reason. And he kind of talks a little bit, and he expands on that kind of idea a little bit further when he says, value others above yourselves. It means not just to give it thought, but to put it in action that others are more important than I am, to actually practice it, not to think about it, not just to have good intentions. They say in the average church, that about 20% of the people do all the work. I know that a lot of you totally get being a servant volunteer because in our church, you may remember this last week from that slideshow we did, the year in review or the video that we did, that somewhere in the neighborhood of 70% of all people that attend Burning Bush Baptist Church volunteer somewhere. That's just an incredible number when you consider most churches, it's 20%. Give yourselves a hand. I think that's outstanding. That means people understand what it means. And let me give you another number that I think is outstanding too. In most churches, 80% of that 20% are women. The women do much more volunteering than men in the average church. At Burning Bush, the number is like 60% to 40% men over women. And that's not to slam women, but please don't get me wrong. That, that's not what I'm, I'm talking about. I just think that is outstanding. And let me talk to the women and give them a little bit, little, little bit of love. To me, when I think about servant from a pure motive, I think about moms. I mean, just think about moms. To me, they are a perfect picture of serving with pure motives. 
You know, just this week, you know, I watched my wife fix meals for people because it's all different schedules. People coming in and practice at different times and different work schedules. And she'll fix a meal for this one, and two hours later, she's fixing someone for somebody else, sitting down and talking with them. No bother, just, just, just what she does. See her run stuff to the school and stuff. And this is, you know, she's got a work schedule and stuff too. And just, and I know almost all moms are like that. They put other people first. And in most households, they're fortunate if they even get a thank you. So, hint, hint for everybody when you go home today. You know, a little baby's not going to thank you for changing their diaper. A toddler's not going to thank you for staying up all night with them and, and soothing them and, and trying to help them get over a sickness or whatever. A teen probably will never realize the sacrifices that you make so that they can pursue their interests and their sports and music activities and all those kinds of things. Moms, you exemplify serving faithfully. And I've benefited from that, both as a son, but also as a, as a father and a husband, watching what my wife does in the home. I think Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 is a great verse for moms and for all of us today that are servants. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. I just see that so much in moms. I was doing some reading this week and came across several different stories in, a, in some mission magazines. I read a story about a pastor, and he was taking a group to Jerusalem in Israel, and they were doing a tour over there. And um, so they had just come down this long, steep incline, this long, steep street. And all at once, he noticed one of the guys in the back of the line, his name was Paul, left the line sprinted across the street, and there was this guy in a wheelchair who was working, trying to work his way up that steep incline that they had just walked down. And this guy was in a wheelchair trying to go up. He whispered something in the guy's ear and then pushed him to the top of the hill. Whispered something else in his ear, left him there, ran back to rejoin the group. Didn't think anybody had noticed it. So later when they had stopped, the pastor went up to his wife and said, did you get a picture of him pushing that guy up the hill in the wheelchair? She said, no, he does that stuff all the time. And this is what a quote. He's always doing stuff like that, so it really didn't stand out to me. That's a lifestyle of service prompted by pure motives. Serving is about offering yourself when it doesn't benefit your own desires. Why you serve is every bit as important as what you do. Motives matter. That's what Jesus did. He came to this earth. He walked around for 33 years, and he practiced a lifestyle of servanthood. And as I said a few weeks ago, Jesus will always be the center of everything that we do here. And everything we do here should reflect his heart for other people. No strings attached, no ulterior motives. That verse we shared last week, Matthew chapter 5, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good de deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's why you serve. Not to feel good about yourself, not to mark off a checklist. You serve because there's a need. No one may ever see you, 
No one may ever see you help a disabled person or clean a bathroom or pick up some trash or hug a homeless person. No one may see the countless hours that you put in studying for your lessons, you small group leaders. A child may never write you an encouraging note. A teen may never thank you for taking a week of your summer and going to a summer camp or super wow or an event like that. No one may ever see or know what you give, but that's not why you give. And when you get to the point that you really don't care who gets credit, you don't care who acknowledges or sees your service, that's when you're on the brink of becoming a true servant. You know, one of the takeaways I hope we come away with this week is this. We have to believe that our reward in the future is greater than the reward that we're going to get on this earth. True servant lifestyle will believe that. We have to get to a point where we don't serve for recognition or a trophy or a title or accomplishment. We just do it because that's what Jesus did. So that's the first one. We serve for the right reason. Second is this. It's found in verse 4. Value others above yourself. Philippians verse 4 reads, chapter 2, Not looking to your own interest, but each of you looking to the interest of others. This word not looking there is kind of an interesting phrase. It carries the idea of giving close attention and special consideration. So in other words, I'm not giving special consideration to my own interest, but I am giving special consideration to other people. And so you get to a point in your life where you realize there is more in life than me. What we talked about last week with Rick Warren, it's not about me in the purpose-driven life. That's a hard place to get to. I understand that. It's not an easy place to get to. Let me tell you about a couple. Their names are Tom and Teresa Raglan. They volunteer with the Kentucky Raceway Ministry. They are in charge of all the campsites there. And when the races happen, there's about 4,000 people in those campsites. So they kind of coordinate with other Christian volunteers, and they just kind of go from campsite to campsite. They pass out water. They talk about NASCAR. They ask them maybe if they have any prayer requests. They might ask them if they have a Bible, would they want one? Last year they gave out over 5,000 Bibles, not just giving them out, but if people wanted one, they would give one. They help out in the kids' areas. And when they asked Tom, why do you do this? That's what he said. Oh, I'm the one that gets a blessing. I get a greater blessing than those people that we serve. It's not about NASCAR, he continued. It's about serving the fans and sharing Christ. And do you know no one ever recruited them into that capacity? They just went online, stepped up to the plate, and got involved. Maybe that's something you could help out with. Maybe down there in Atlanta, at the Atlanta Motor Speedway. You like NASCAR? Is your firstborn named Ricky Bobby? And she's a girl? Do you love Jesus? you enjoy making new friendships and talking to people? 
I mean, there are just so many different ways. Sometimes I just think we, we lock servanthood into a box. There are so many ways that you can serve in a community. There are so many ways that you can serve in a church. I'm just asking you to find some way that you can serve that fits who you are and the way God has gifted you and wired you and the talents and interests that he has given you. And do so, do that with an attitude that puts other people above yourself. I read about another group of missionaries that uh, serve in a Muslim country. And missionaries are not allowed there, so they have to have some other way of being allowed to stay in the country. So they own a restaurant. That's what they do. And they're business owners, so to speak, but yet they're, they're witnessing to people, and then that's why they you know, have the business there. And in this Muslim country, business owners are not allowed to help the minimum wage help or the, the, the people that, that work underneath them. It, it's considered demeaning for them to do that. But these two guys, they bust tables and they wash dishes and they just do whatever needs to be done. And they were arrested for that. And their passports were taken away from them. And through some very unusual type events, they spent about three days in jail and then they were released and given their passports back. But do you know what they were charged with? This was the charge, I'm quoting this, being servant leaders. That was the charge, which begs the question, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your home, if you were charged with being a servant leader, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Jesus says, the greatest among you will be a servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. Third point this morning. Serving becomes a lifestyle rather than an isolated event. I think there's a big difference. I think a lot of people, they serve, they do an event, so to speak. But we're talking about a lifestyle here. We continue in the passage with verses 5 through 7. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So he starts off by saying, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus in your relationship with each other. Literally, that means have the same attitude as Jesus. So how is that attitude shown? Well, he says that in verse 7, by taking the very nature of a servant. There are different words in Scripture for servant. Some are actually translated minister or that kind of serving. At this particular one, servant, it literally means bond servant. A bond servant owed or, or owned nothing. Not even the clothes on his back were considered his. But this passage is telling us that Jesus was a bond servant. Now, Jesus did own his clothes, but he didn't own a business. He didn't own a house. He didn't own a boat. He didn't own a horse. I mean, he had to borrow a donkey to come into, into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday because he didn't have an animal. 
He willingly became that kind of servant and lived his life like that. It was a lifestyle with Jesus. Paul's saying, you need to practice that same kind of lifestyle. You know, as I've studied and prepared this message, I've been concerned that that you're going to think the main part of this sermon is just that you'll volunteer somewhere at the church here, that you'll volunteer somewhere in the community. And and yeah, that's part of it. But my goal is much bigger than that. Let me share a quote from Richard Foster. He speaks to the topic of servanthood. There's a difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. When I choose to serve, I retain control over when and who I serve. But when I choose to be a servant, I have given up all rights and all control. I'll just kind of leave that on the screen for a second. Because I just want to kind of let that sink in. Because more important than doing a task is cultivating a lifestyle. A lifestyle of honoring and loving on other people through service. Any guys in here hate to paint? Like, I'm not talking like canvases. I mean like buildings and trim and bookcases. Just raise your hand if you hate to paint because I'll put both of my hands up. I don't like to paint. I mean, I can paint, but I don't like to paint. It's tedious. It's not something I enjoy. My wife does most of the painting in the inside of our house. I don't know if she really likes it or not, but she does it, and that's great for me. And I still have to paint the outside of the house, and I'll build stuff and repair it, and, and, and she'll do the painting. And that's, that, that's just kind of how it works. I just really don't enjoy painting. She's pretty good at it, too. I, I'll say that. Well, for years, I've gone on these mission projects that used to be called World Changers, and then they were called, you know, now we, we have these projects that we go to. That are, we call them projects, Project 127. And when it was World Changers, we'd always have to, those of us who were going to be crew chiefs and kind of head up crews here and there, we had to fill out these applications in advance. And you would just kind of grade yourself on your skill sets and stuff. And then, you know, what they would try to do is, is match your skill sets up with particular uh, needs at a particular project, depending on what, what your skill set was. But the overall understanding is that you will help wherever you are needed. Now, I'll tell you, I'll do whatever you need me to do, but if I have my druthers, I don't want to paint. So the first one of these I ever went on, it was probably the mid or late 90s, I ended up, this was in Norfolk, Virginia, on a paint crew painting a three-story house, and I was basically in charge of that. I mean, like, yuck, right? I mean, everybody else has got these manly jobs, you know. They're putting in doors and windows and roofing and siding. They get to use real tools, you know, saws and hammers and pneumatic nailers and stuff like that. And I get to use a stinking paintbrush. You know, this is about as manly as you can get when you're painting. You know, flex your bicep when you paint. That's about, about, all, about all you could do. And um, most years after that, uh, I ended up heading up roofing crews, which uh, fits my skill set very well. But one year we go to Avon Park, Florida. And uh, my good friend Tommy Head, he's sitting over here on my left this morning. Tommy's with me, and he's been on about as many of these trips as, as I've been on. And uh, so we go to the, the first crew chief meeting on a Saturday night, and they haven't told us yet what we're going to be doing. 
So we get in there, and they tell Tommy and I both that we're going to be painting houses. And Tommy takes it a lot better than I do. I mean, I am moaning and groaning and fussing. Not to anybody else, really, just, just mostly to Tommy. Just, you know. And uh, so, anyway, the next day, they, they made some changes before we got started. And I ended up doing roofs. They changed me to, to, to install metal roofs. And Tommy was still ending up painting. And, you know, I knew he didn't want to paint either. You know, I'm saying all the right stuff. Ah, oh, Tommy, man, that just stinks for you. Tommy, man, they just don't know your skill level. That's, that's just so crummy. But deep down, I was like, hallelujah, it's him and not me. Right? I wanted to serve, but I wanted to do it on my terms. And maybe it's easier because it's easier t- to serve than it is to choose to be a servant. Now, this doesn't mean you never sign up for something, you never volunteer for a planned event. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, be more intentional. Look for needs. Choose to be a servant. Serve. Serving one time is a good thing, and God can absolutely use you in that kind of way. But when we serve faithfully and consistently and weekly, because that's who you are, that requires a dependence on God and not just on your own strength. And there are all kinds of places that you can serve here at Burning Bush and so many different things that, that, that you can do. And I'm so grateful for all the volunteers because the volunteers are what make this, make this church go. And I'm probably going to forget some things. But, you know, I think about all the tech volunteers, the sound people that uh, they, they work. There's a lot of stuff goes on to make these services go, especially with the streaming that goes over to, to the other room. I'm reminded of all the greeters that smile and pass out bulletins and help people find where they're going. Safety team members that are alert for things that are unusual and they're holding doors open. And people that work in the parking lot that just make things easier for us. And all the music folks that get here at 7 o'clock in the morning and they're practicing. And that's on top of all the practicing that they're doing on their own in their homes. And I think about all the valet team members, all those 16-year-olds foaming at the mouth to park your car. I'm kidding. They're not 16 years old. Sunday school teachers, all the hours they put in getting ready for Sunday Cafe workers that are here bright and early to to have that coffee ready. And I guess you know those pastries and stuff don't fly over there on their own in a drone. They go get those early in the morning, that kind of stuff. Our nursing team that's on standby for emergencies. Guys who show up here and repair things and and remodel things. Children's workers and, and youth volunteers. Prayer team members that show up at 7.30 in the morning and walk through this building praying for all the stuff that's going to happen after 9.40. I mean, there's just all kinds of volunteers that that make things go. I just want to ask you a question. What has the Lord put on your heart? Where does He want you to engage? That's that mission statement I was telling you about. Be engaged. Maybe he's put something on your heart this morning. Why would he put that on your heart? Because he wants you to serve in that capacity. 
something that fits your interest and your gifts and your talents. Maybe it could be helping with baptisms. Maybe the children's ministry. Man, I, I love the children. I don't get to go down there very often, but once in a while one of the other guys is preaching, I'll go down there. Just the excitement of kids, the innocence, their willingness to learn, their smiles and their hugs. Just incredible ministry happens down there. We we'll always need more children's workers. Bus drivers. We need some bus drivers, especially for our youth. You know, you have to have a CDL license, and we'll help you get that, and we'll pay for it and those types of things. But uh, they're very dependent on, on, you know, getting places. So we, we need some, some people to do that. And, you know, some of our volunteer roles, you don't have to be a church member and you can serve. But there are places where we require that you have, be a member and have a background check working with our students and working with our children or those kinds of areas. And we're serious about that and we're serious about it because we love our children and, and we love our, our youth and we're not going to take any shortcuts in that area. But you know, when you serve at, at, at church, that can become a springboard to a lifestyle of service. You know, we always encourage people in our new members groups, attend worship, be in part of a small group, engage in a small group, and engage or be a servant volunteer somewhere. Just however God has gifted you. And you know, it's interesting. Sometimes I'll be walking around shaking people's hands before services, and, and I'll, you know, there'll be somebody sitting there, and I'll say, well, where's your other half this morning? And they'll say, oh, well, they're serving in, in, during this hour, and they're going to go to the, the 11 o'clock service, and then I'm going to go to the, the other service because I'm serving during the 11 o'clock hour. And, then, and they just kind of do this, this, this kind of swap thing, and I understand that, that they totally get it. And, and let me say something that I think is real important. Most of our servant volunteers... It's a rotating basis. So it's like once every four or five weeks. So that gives you an opportunity to sit with your spouse most of the time. It gives you the opportunity to be in the services and not have to be out all of the time. And so we work really hard on doing that. And when you serve, who knows how God might use you? The child that you teach might become a social worker that changes lives. The neighbor that you help in their yard with, it might be the first time somebody's ever showed them what real community looks like. The, the student that you disciple might go plant a church in the Northeast somewhere. Or they might become a missionary to Africa like one of our students who left here last year, Austin Holcomb. You just never know. Maybe the scripture that you write on a piece of plywood before you cover it with, with roofing materials on a Project 127 trip. Maybe that verse and that prayer maybe that you offer with your group, it might mold and shape what God is going to do in that home. I mentioned Bob Goff earlier, so I'm kind of wrapping things up. I want to share another quote. Planning to love people is different than just loving people. It's easier to make plans than to make time. In other words, it's easy to have great intentions. It's harder to follow through on them. And he said, is this, if this is you, here's how to fix it. Make love your plan. What if that was your plan? When you leave this place this morning, that's your plan. Your new plan becomes, I just want to serve people. I just want to love people. 
And so when you see a need, you just step in. And I understand when you're serving, you may feel unqualified, you may feel overwhelmed, it may be out of your comfort zone. Listen, God's not asking you to do everything. God's just asking you to do something. Will you? Mother Teresa said, I am but a small pencil in the almighty hand of God writing a love letter to the world. And to all of us, I would say, write it well. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you for, for allowing me to pastor a group of people that totally get serving. Father, I thank you for all the folks here that give of their time and their energy and their talents, and, and they just make things happen here. All the stuff I've mentioned and things that I haven't thought about decorating and going to making flowers that are here and taking care of things like that and running to the hospitals and visiting people and and ministering to people in the ICU rooms, and just on and on the list goes. And Father, I know there's so many people that get it. Father, I also want to pray for, for all of us that we understand the difference between just an event or an occasional volunteering versus living a lifestyle of service. Because that's what your son demonstrated. I pray that you challenge us with that today. Practicing a lifestyle of service. I pray for our time of commitment now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.